You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life, with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to our fifth show called Support and Challenge. As I wrap up the month of January's focus on coaching, I wanted to talk with you about two skills coaches need to be effective. Good coaches become great coaches when they understand the needs of their client at any moment in time. When someone is trying to make changes to accomplish a goal, they almost always, at different times, need a balance of support and challenge. That balance is highly individualized and a coach needs to assess which is most needed at any given point in time. When do people need support and why? When legitimate stuff gets in the way. When they give it their all and they didn't succeed. When they make a hard choice to prioritize something else over the goal they were working on. When they grieve initially. And when life is hard and challenging. When do you think people need challenge and why? Well, people need challenge when they have a goal and aren't making progress. When they have the skills but aren't moving forward. When they sell themselves short and are capable of bigger things. When they prioritize things as an excuse. When they're making excuses. When they're dragging their feet for no reason. When they complain about taking action. Interestingly, when people try to coach themselves through something, they almost always use the wrong skill at the wrong time. When people do do do-it-yourself coaching, they tend to support themselves through the challenges, and then they give themselves a pass or support themselves when things are going well. This just doesn't work. You generally are too hard on yourself. You're much harder than anyone else would be, and you very rarely give yourself the credit you deserve. People think that tough treatment is motivating, but if you think about it, if you are working with a friend, you would never talk to them the way you talk to yourself. So I want to give you some examples of the principles and the goals of my process called choice coaching. You may find something in it that will help you as you coach yourself. And if you happen to be a coach, maybe there's something in there that will resonate with you that you'll be able to use in your coaching. The foundation of choice coaching rests on the concepts of William Glasser's choice theory psychology. So you'll hear some overlap in the principles of choice coaching with the tenets of choice theory, but they're not an exact copy. The first principle is the only person's behavior anyone can control is their own. Others might attempt to heavily influence your behavior, but the choice is ultimately yours. This is mostly common sense. But if you still think you can control someone else's behavior, have you ever attempted to feed a baby who isn't hungry? It doesn't work very well. Even though people intellectually know they can't control others' behaviors, they spend a lot of time attempting to do just that. The corresponding goal for choice coaching is to help clients understand and take responsibility for their choices. Clients need to realize that whatever they choose is their choice alone, and that while they may have allowed others to influence their choices, they're nonetheless responsible for the choices they make. The opposite of that goal, or the flip side, is the one where choice coaches help clients realize that attempting to control the behavior of others is often counterproductive. When a person feels pushed to do something they don't want to do, Newton's third law of motion kicks in and they resist, often pushing back in their own way. Newton's third law says, 
Every action creates an equal and opposite reaction. People are more likely to get what they want when they honor a person's autonomy to do what they think is best. The next principle is, whatever happens in the outside world has no meaning other than the meaning you give it. People have the power to change the meaning they assign from positive to negative, negative to positive, or from positive or negative to neutral. Many great philosophers advocate remaining as neutral as possible on the things that happen in your life. When you believe in the premise that all things are equally balanced, everything is neutral anyway with equal positive and negative associated with it. The main idea is it's not just possible, but often desirable to change your perception. A change in perception typically requires new information or a challenge to a value you hold. People tend to be committed to their perceptions and don't like to change them. With a perception change often comes the realization that they were wrong and no one likes to be wrong. The common human condition is to seek confirmation for the perception you already hold. The goal of the coach is to assist clients in understanding the power of their perceptions and how to change them to find the balance in all things. Clients with overwhelmingly positive perceptions of a future outcome might be coached to consider what trade-offs there might be or what could potentially go wrong. Clients who are perceiving things in a negative way can be coached to find the positive side so they can find gratitude for where they are now. People who are unable to do this about face can be encouraged to move to a neutral perception to take some of the emotionality out of the situation. The natural state of the world is balance. The periodic table of elements shows how every element in our naturally occurring world has an equal number of protons as electrons. They are perfectly balanced with the same positive charge as the negative charge. A choice coach helps clients realize this so they can seek the balance in the events that happen in their life. Events that seem overwhelmingly painful are balanced with gifts, lessons, opportunities, and wisdom. Other events that seem only positive have the same amount of trade-offs associated. Finding the balance helps people improve emotional self-regulation while seeing the world more realistically. It lowers expectations and assists clients to find deeper levels of gratitude. The next principle is, every behavior you choose, including your feelings, is designed to get something you want. Behaviors always proactive, never reactive, except for instinctual responses like sneezing, the startle response, or crying in response to physical pain. All other behavior is chosen as your best attempt to get what you most want in that moment based on the information available to you. If you care about that person, isn't that what you'd want anyway, for them to be able to do what they need to get what they want? This principle talks about feelings being chosen. Most people believe feelings are something that just happens. You can't control them or choose them. That isn't really true. Yes, initial feelings are similar to the startle response or crying to physical pain. When something happens that you don't want to happen, you immediately feel unhappy. When things happen that you want, you feel happy. It's a very quick emotion lasting just a brief moment. If you continue that feeling, 
then you're choosing it to help you get something that you want. Happiness is usually designed to get more of what you're getting, and unhappiness is created also, usually subconsciously, to let the other person know they better change what they're doing because it's having such an adverse effect on you. We don't get to change them at will. To change a feeling, you'll have to adjust either your actions, your thoughts, or both. With new actions and thoughts, your feelings will automatically change. They're all connected. The goal of a choice coach is to help clients learn that connection between actions, thoughts, feelings, and your body's physiology. The actions and thoughts are the only things a person has direct control over. Feelings and physiology are only affected when you change your actions and your thinking. Helping a client focus on the things where they have power and control is the overarching purpose of choice coaching. When clients become aware they are not happy about something, it's usually because their feelings and physiology are sending painful signals. It's helpful to recognize the early signs before they become so big you can't ignore them. Instead of looking externally for the cause of this discomfort, help clients to realize the cause is not what's happening, but rather what they're doing and thinking about what's happening. Instead of spending exorbitant amounts of time trying to change what's happening, it's better for the client or for you to change what you're doing and thinking to create a different outcome. The next principle is that what people want is based on what feels good. People are looking to increase pleasure and avoid pain. Sometimes people can give up what would feel good right now for something that will feel even better later, but everything anyone does is designed to get them closer to this increased positive feelings. Humans are basically hedonistic. We want to increase pleasure and decrease pain. The choice coach's goal is to teach clients to distinguish and choose between what feels good right now and what will feel even better later. It's generally harder to postpone gratification, which accounts for many failed plans. Clients begin by believing their willpower will allow them to give up what they want right now to have what they really want later. Willpower is rarely enough. This is easier for the person who has a high significance need, but the connection, freedom, fun, and even survival people struggle with delayed gratification. If a client wants to boost their credit score by paying off credit card debt, but wants to spend money on things they don't need, over time it becomes increasingly difficult to choose the long-term goal because the freedom need demands satisfaction. Coaching helps clients by having the client develop their why statement about why the long-term goal is important to them and put systems in place to keep reminding them of the importance and the reasons for reaching the long-term goals. A good coach knows it's important to figure out which need will be frustrated by giving up that short-term goal and ensures some new ways to meet that need are included in the plan for long-term success. For example, in the credit card situation, the freedom need is frustrated when the client has to tell himself he can't have what he wants to buy. He will need to build more freedom into his plan. Brainstorm ways of meeting that freedom need that don't cost money. It could be taking a ride, flying a kite, taking a bubble bath. Find out what the client experiences as freedom 
and build in time for those activities into the plan while their freedom need is being curtailed in the frivolous buying department. The next principle. When people are unhappy about what's happening in their life, they should first clarify exactly what they want rather than focusing on what they want to avoid. If you plan to go grocery shopping, you wouldn't head to the store with the list of what you don't need. That wouldn't work very well. Similarly, it isn't effective to build a client's change process around what he or she doesn't want. The picture of the goal accomplished needs to be clear and focused. Once a person knows exactly what they want, then they should ask for it if it's reliant on someone else. Sometimes when people realize they can only control their own behavior, they shy away from asking others for what they want. Asking for what you want is an excellent first step because a person might just say yes, and then you can get what you want. However, when you ask for what you want and the other person doesn't comply, as is their right, be sure you don't then engage in trying to force them into complying. Instead, you want to accept their right to say no and either change what you're doing, change what you want, or change your perception. These are the things you can actually control. Of course, if you want to stay miserable and unhappy, you don't have to change anything at all. You can stay unhappy if that works for you. That's always a choice you have. As a choice coach, your goal is teaching the needs, helping clients assess the strength of their needs. Coaches help clients recognize when a need isn't being met and how to devise a plan to get the needs met. Coaches help clients recognize when a need isn't being satisfied and devise plans to help those needs be met. It's important to have the right amount without going over because it's possible to have too much of a need. Having too much often compromises another need. For example, if you have too much survival, safety, and security, it might frustrate your freedom need. Having too much freedom can frustrate your connection need. Too much power can frustrate freedom, and having too much fun can frustrate survival. For a person to be at their optimal level for happiness, it's important to have as much of each need as they want without having more than they need. Choice coaches help clients learn to discern this difference and develop plans for meeting needs in new or practiced ways. The next principle. Much of your health, both physical and emotional, is strongly affected by your actions and your thoughts, both of which you have the power to change. If you don't like the emotions you're experiencing or your current state of health, you can indirectly affect change by changing your actions and your thinking. All behavior is purposeful and designed to meet a need. Each behavior has four discrete components that are intricately connected and cannot be separated. There's always our acting, what others can see you do, your thinking, which only you're privy to, your feelings, which are the, the emotions that you feel, and your physiology, which is what your body's doing. Most people recognize something is wrong or they're out of sorts based on their feelings or their physiology. These are the signals to say something isn't right. Because we can't directly control those feelings or our physiology, you sometimes feel like you're a victim to these components. That's a complete lie. 
While you can't directly change your feelings and physiology, you're completely capable of indirectly changing those components by adjusting your actions and or your thinking. Changing one component inevitably changes them all because they are an interconnected behavioral system. In my experience, I typically find my clients are more skilled at one of the directly controlled components, either actions or thinking. Some people seem to be able to decide to change their acting component and then stay on that path without deviation. They can act their way into a new behavior with new thinking, feeling, and physiology to accompany the new action. Other people are more skilled at changing their thinking first. Acting differently consistently may be more challenging than changing their thinking or perception about something. These individuals are better at thinking their way into a new behavior, complete with new actions, feelings, and physiology. A good coach takes this into consideration. For example, I'm better at thinking my way into new behavior, but if my client is better at doing his way into a new behavior, it would be a mistake for me to assume he functions the same way I do. I mention this because it's a mistake I used to make until I discovered the difference. Now I ask my clients their preference as we start the planning process. People can change their unwanted feelings and physiology by changing either their actions, their thinking, or both. I don't mean to imply that this is easy. It's not, but it's a lot easier than staying a victim to your emotions and your body's physiology. It requires commitment and practice, just like any new skill, but it can be done when people take control of their mental well-being. And I want to be clear that I'm not talking about pretending so people are denying their feelings while they're happening, stuffing them deep inside. I'm talking about really changing your feelings by changing your actions and your thinking. Choice coaches help clients recognize they're creating the behavior that includes their unwanted feelings and physiology. This doesn't mean people always choose behavior consciously. Sometimes it's subconscious. Especially with unwanted feelings and physiology, often chosen at an unconscious level or a subconscious level, a person has chosen those emotions and sometimes even the physiology as their best attempt to get what they want. Realizing it's a choice is the first step to changing it. Understanding it's a choice is not to cause self-blame, but for people to recognize that because they choose it, they can choose something different if they want to. Help your clients make committed, conscious choice to do or think something better. Go for a walk. Do the housework. Call a friend. Write in a journal. Start some healthy self-talk. Look at the situation from a different angle. Find the gifts, lessons, opportunities, and wisdom. List the things that you're grateful for. There are innumerable options for changing your acting and your thinking so you can indirectly change your feelings and physiology. Coaches need to help their clients develop patience with themselves. The behaviors they're trying to change are likely behaviors they've been using for a long time. They've become habits. It will take time and repeated use of the new habit for it to become dominant. If you revert to old behavior, just start over again. The goal of a choice coach is to help clients connect their progress or lack thereof to their actions and their thinking. People's eyes see outward, so outside of self is the easiest place to look for the obstacles to your success. 
but the greatest progress comes when you look inward to determine what you could do or think differently to get more of what you want. Because people can only control their own behavior, it's much more efficient if they work towards their goals based on what they have control over rather than working harder to get other people to give it to them or do it for them. The next principle. People often see their choices as either-or choices, creating imagined dilemmas and forced choices, rather than opening the possibilities of combining the many things they want. It's not always true that you have to make a choice. Sometimes you really can have your cake and eat it too. Who wants to have cake they can't eat? The goal of a choice coach is to listen for either-or thinking and open it up by asking the question, how could you have both? How could you do both? How could you be both? For example, how can you reduce your credit card debt and still buy things on a whim when you want to? Or how can you eat chocolate and still lose weight? A person's sense of power is increased when they realize they don't have to give anything up. That never feels good. In the event that a choice is necessary, the choice coach would explore which is more important, which is most important right now. Occasionally, the choice doesn't have to be permanent. Maybe you can't have both simultaneously, but you could choose to have one now and pursue the other option later. Anything that expands options for the client is empowering. The next principle is, people don't change until the pain of staying the same exceeds their fear or discomfort with change. As a coach, I used to feel a bit like a failure if my client decided they weren't moving forward towards their goals. Sometimes clients decide not to make changes. I don't feel that way anymore. I've come to understand that sometimes choosing to do nothing and staying miserable is an excellent way to increase a person's pain. Increasing pain is sometimes necessary to get the motivation to change. Now I can be satisfied that staying in the same situation can be a good thing and lead to change later. The goal of the choice coach in this situation is to be sure the client is moving at a pace that's challenging but doable for them. Recognize that as a coach, you might be in more of a hurry than your client. You might want to push your client to go faster than is comfortable. Coaches need to assess the pace and respect that pace. The next principle, people are frequently sabotaged by their own thinking that's outside of their conscious awareness that was likely installed at a very young age, usually before they were able to discriminate between the truth and a lie. In order to overcome this self-sabotage, people have to bring this thinking to their conscious awareness where it can be analyzed and discarded if it no longer serves. According to Gay Hendricks in The Big Leap, he says there's four underlying causes for self-sabotage. One is feeling fundamentally flawed. Two is fear of disloyalty or abandoning people that are important to you. The third one is believing that more success brings a bigger burden. And the fourth one is the crime of outshining. When a person feels fundamentally flawed, they can't be successful if they believe that they're not good enough or they can't meet people's expectations. How can they possibly deserve their goals? If they're flawed, why should they be rewarded with success? 
An example would be a client believing it's impossible for him to pass a standardized exam because he has a case of dyslexia. If your client is leaving a relationship, a job, or somewhere they have belonged, they may believe they're being disloyal or that they're abandoning someone or both. An example would be a client who wants to leave her job but sabotages all her interviews because she's worked as the office manager for 19 years at her current place of employment, and she's overly concerned that the business won't succeed without her since she's been holding things together there. She's also concerned about the people she's leaving behind as they could feel like she abandoned them. When a person fears becoming successful because they'll be taking on more risk, more bills, more accountability, more time away from family and friends, they may subconsciously sabotage their success. An example might be a person who wants to write a book. I was once working with someone who was really struggling getting over the hump and getting down the home stretch to publishing. And when I asked them, what would you have to give up to get what you want? He said his peace and his privacy. If he became the successful author that he wanted to be, he was afraid that he wouldn't even be able to go out in public because he would be mocked by people looking for his autograph and wanting to talk to him. The crime of outshining is about not wanting to show anyone up, particularly the important people in your life. An example might be a client who wants to open her own business, but she's afraid if she does, her friends won't like her anymore. She's afraid they'll think she's better than they are because she took the risk when they couldn't or wouldn't. When you have a client with the skills necessary to accomplish their goals, but you notice they aren't making the expected progress, it's time to start talking about the possibility of self-sabotage. I like to ask my clients to relax, be still, and recall the first answer that comes to their mind when I ask this question. What would you have to give up to get what you want? Or is there something you fear will happen if you're successful that you don't want to have happen? Both of these questions should get at the underlying issue. When your client can give a name to their fears, they no longer remain subconscious. Once the fear is made conscious, it's time to do the work of determining if that fear is, in fact, realistic. Most times it isn't and the person can wave the fear away as if it were a pesky insect. There's no need to do battle with it. That gives the fear more importance than it deserves. Simply have your client know that their subconscious was working to keep them safe. They can recognize there may have been a time that that fear or concern helped them, but now it's time to let it go. It's no longer true or serves a useful purpose. The next principle is that people do not have to be a victim to anything, not their emotions, their past, their habits, their character, life's unfortunate circumstances, or other people. Once a person learns and practices the principles of choice coaching, he or she will have the power to take a different path at any moment they choose. That doesn't mean people can't be victimized by those things. Anybody can be victimized. But whether you stay a victim beyond that initial trauma is a choice, once you know how to move beyond it by changing what you do and how you think. The goal of the coach is to help clients accept things that happen that they didn't necessarily want to happen. There's basically three types of events in your life. Those you can control, those you have the power to influence, and those you have no control over. 
some examples of what you control, your thoughts, your actions, the way you treat people, the type of work you do, and the values you choose to live by. Things you can influence generally relate to things other people do who value your opinion. You can influence things around you by telling people what you think is best, and they might choose to listen. You may also influence the things that you do. For example, your health isn't 100% in your control as genetics and accidents can happen. But if you eat well, exercise, and take preventive health care measures, you can influence the state of your health. The things you don't control are things like traffic, weather, natural disasters, other people and their choices, and so on. The goal of the Choice Coach is to help clients assume full responsibility for the things they control, their actions and their thinking. There's a responsibility both for what they do and what they don't do. They can also take partial responsibility for the things they influence, not for the outcomes because the other person has a lot to do with how the outcome happens, but for the effectiveness of their behaviors they use to influence. And perhaps the most challenging of all is to help clients first develop an acceptance for the things that happen that they didn't want to happen. Accepting reduces the amount of time a person spends in the grieving process, denying what's happened, bargaining to regain it, sadness, and anger. There's a shortcut to acceptance, but people need to be ready for it. Choice coaches know that life's events are perfectly balanced, as we've already said. We can train our brains to recognize when something happens we didn't want, to remind ourselves that while this doesn't feel positive right now, we know there's equal positivity when we're ready to find it. Some people like to stay in misery for a while. Their pain may not yet have exceeded their fear of change. People also have a purpose in their grief. Grief can be a way of showing others how important the other person was in their life. If they find the positive too quickly, other people might question the strength of their relationship to what was lost. Choice coaches don't push people towards resolving their grief prematurely. We simply remind clients that the gifts, lessons, opportunities, and wisdom are there when they're ready to find them. And when the client's ready, we help them find the benefits in what happened. I hope if you're a coach that you found something in these principles that can help you in your work. And if you're someone who's trying to coach yourself through something challenging, I hope you found something that will help you as well. I hope you'll join us in the month of February when we're going to be doing a lot of conversation around relationships and couples. And our next week's episode is an interview that I did with Dr. Ray and Jean Cacordian, who created a really cool process called Couples Synergy. And they've been working with couples for nearly 20 years. I hope you'll tune in. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast and remember to subscribe.